All right. Hello, everyone. Today is, uh, let's see, Monday the 11th, I believe, 2015. This is the Monday Morning Analyst here on MMAfighting.com. My name is Luke Thomas. You probably know that by now. Today on the podcast, a return to video, first of all, which I'll talk about in just a second. But we'll do Metamorphosis 6, and we'll do UFC Fight Night 65. I realize there was other events. In the grappling world, there was the ADCC trials. Uh, Canelo blasted Kirkland. Um, there was the RFA versus Legacy Super Fight. But I'm getting this podcast. It, it was sort of gone from video. Now it's back on its training wheels. And then hopefully we can get it going and riding in the future. Um, so here's the update on this. If you haven't been paying attention, the podcast has basically continued. I had to take a full week off, I think one week, uh, the John Jones week when I was traveling to Las Vegas, but um, it's been on audio form, not on video form. So here's how we're going to baby step this. It's back on video form, which is the good news. The only issue left is that, um, let me make sure this print the settings here are what they're supposed to be. Yes, there we go. Okay. Um, I just need to go back and put editing in as a priority after the fact. I, I can't quite get the editing I want this time. So remember, this is going to be different than my live chat, both in the sort of the subject matter, but also in the way it's presented. But baby steps back. At least we're back on video. I appreciate everyone's patience. I have a new computer, which is partly why we're even able to take this step. But it's going to continue to get back and evolve into a really different direction than the live chat. So bear with me for now. I appreciate everyone's um, uh, patience as such. So let's get into the events if we can. Um, the way this works is there's a big overview, then there is the fights themselves, and then there is what's coming up. I'm actually going to start with Meta Morris for this one and then dig into UFC Fight 965, not because one is better than the other necessarily, um, obviously they're very different things, but just that uh, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about Meta Morris's, um product. So the big overview, segment one. I don't really understand what Metamorphosis is doing. Um, let me make, let me say a couple of positive things about what happened at Metamorphosis 6. Now, this took place at some location. I'm not sure which. Some were saying the Black House Gym. I'm not sure if that's true or not. Um, but be that as it may, let me say a couple of positives. On the, on, the, on the one hand, once the stream started at Metamorphosis.com, it looked excellent. Crystal clear, beautiful stream. Um, only had one hiccup with uh, Google Chromecast which I was able to rectify really quickly. That's a really sort of important thing, too. There was a question about the audience or lack thereof. Um, I would sort of point out that I didn't like necessarily the lack of the audience, but I didn't find it to be a very big deal. It was what it was. It wasn't a super limiting factor. It was kind of interesting to have it in the way that they did, which was sort of like an art show uh, at where the fighters were almost like runway models. I don't mean that they were sort of flaunting and presenting things in that way, but just that it had that kind of feel where everything was sort of blacked out, there was this lit portion, and there was supposed to be this art in front of you um, as everyone sort of consumed around the edges of it. It, it felt like that, less like an athletic competition, um, which I think may have been the goal. Halleck Gracie had speaking to me previously about, you know, treating jiu-jitsu in a way where you, if you had art, you wouldn't hang it in any gallery. You would hang the art in a gallery commensurate with um, the art, that a gallery that could present it properly. And so I think that's what he was trying to do here. And I, and I do, even though I don't think it necessarily worked, I don't think it bombed. I don't think it failed at all in that regard. And I at least admire the ambition to try something different. I, I do think that was sort of interesting. Um, so those were a couple of positives there. I think that 
given what Metamorphosis is, the product worked out about as well as it was going to. I don't think it's in any way, if you just look at the main card, coincidental that the only two matches where you got a submission was where there was a talent disparity and where there was a weight disparity. Now, Joe Lozon is certainly a credentialed grappler, but Dylan Dennis is a Marcelo Garcia black belt who just beasted the Pan Ams. He's a knee bar specialist. That's not what he won by, but uh, you saw him attacking with it, and, and it was an important part of the, the, the fight to some extent anyway, um, or the match, whatever you want to say. But the big overview for me is, if those are the positive things, here are the negative. Um, one, you risk sort of meandering to the point of hopelessness here. I, ad I admire the uh, bold initiative that it takes to change things up, but usually when you see change from a product standpoint, it's iterative. This is this wholesale disregard for what necessarily works, and I don't understand why they're doing that. It does make it better, frankly, if there's an audience there. It does not necessarily matter that the, that the video is presented in this sort of artistic way in terms of what the market will bear and what audiences are interested in. That may be pleasing to watch for Halleck and maybe other people in the, in the Minimores team, and it certainly wasn't displeasing to me, but it's not a particular priority. I think more than that, though, the broadcast, and I'm just going to be absolutely frank about this, the broadcast was a torture to watch. Painful. Truly, utterly painful. I said on Twitter it was the worst I'd ever seen from a combat sports event. I'll, I'll dial that back to saying it was one of the worst I've ever seen. Um, just no regard for the viewer whatsoever. You're going to spend all of this initiative and effort and this ingenuity around presenting the matches in a beautiful way. I will certainly say that they were done that way. And then, and then the pacing was so god-awful, I could barely stand it. I was literally relieved when the, when the event was over because I just couldn't take it anymore. Just horrible, horrible, horrible pacing on that show. I think it, I think it wound up ending four hours later. Maybe the idea is they want to give people as much bang for their buck. Okay, I guess I understand the motivation. Maybe the idea is that, look, we've got this time. People are purchasing this pay-per-view. Let's give them some of the other things that we're working on in the company. So they would show you the Keenan Cornelius seminar that they have on the all-access um, uh, uh, you know, program. That If you purchase that, you get those things. They showed a clip of the Josh Barnett seminar, uh, which is part of also the all-access deal. But these things, you know, Metamorphosis needs to decide what it is. Are you appealing to jiu-jitsu audiences who are both – uh, fans and competitors, or are you appealing to MMA audiences when you bring in the likes of Chael Sonnen and you bring in the likes of Joe Lazan and Josh Barnett? If you are more the latter and your product is frankly more the latter, showing seminar footage is, is the worst thing you can possibly do. I could not believe I was spending my night on a Saturday night watching training footage of people and then students asking questions. I do not care if your seminar is good. This is not what I paid to see. I paid to see matches and I would like to see them like that. You want to give me bang for my buck? Make the make each second count. Don't just load up content over the course of four painfully dragging hours. I, I, can, I mean, if I have to give the other you know, artistic vision a B, the matches B plus, maybe A minus in some of them, I give the pacing of the show a complete and total F. F, the, the lowest F I can give it. The worst pacing you can imagine. Um, and, you know, look, if you want more people to pay attention to your Keenan Cornelius seminar and your Josh Barnett seminar, which I'm sure are quite good, this is not a comment about whether they're good or not. This is a comment about whether that's the relevant kind of content to be distributing during a pay-per-view broadcast, especially given who your audience may be. Uh, terrible idea. Um, 
maybe it might be better to invite the media to review the seminars without giving away specific details about what was you know covered in in, in you know in, in you know in essentially giving away the product for free generate interest by inviting the media in this idea about not inviting the media in seems desperately foolish um, not having an audience okay fine or not having very much media that's fine and by the way fightland was there so there's not even really this media ban to begin with but um, you know having media review it having media like the folks on reddit bjj like bjj lee um, all kinds of other grappling sites inviting these people to come take a look you know requiring them to not divulge too much about what's in there but essentially give a review of how good they feel the content is that's a much better way than saying well no one's paid attention to this thus far at least not enough let's cram it onto a saturday night broadcast in excruciatingly long detail and making all things horrible as, as a consequence your your matches should not be a distraction from the filler material and that's exactly what it felt like it was like this, this oasis of my god thank you get to the match this now now I can breathe again instead of you know uh, uh, wanting to slam my laptop shut and throw it out the window um, which is how I felt over and over and over and, and then they showed highlights of Metamorphs 5 no one needs to see this this is not relevant content to what we're here we're here to watch Metamorphs 6 give us Metamorphs 6 and give us Metamorphs 6 in the best way possible don't give us Metamorphs and try stuffing it into a single Metamorphs 6 broadcast a truly truly epically bad idea um, then there is the other sort of key takeaway about what Metamorphs is, right? And then that we'll use this to lead into the product itself, or the fights themselves, I should say, or the matches, whatever you wish to call them. Um, I admire some of the matchmaking. I don't think it's in any way coincidental that when there was a weight disparity and a talent disparity, you got the submission. I don't think that's in any way shocking to anyone. Um, I also thought Sinistro on the prelims looked good. We'll get to that in just a second. But the point for me is as follows. If there is, people keep saying, well, they need to do something about these draws. Well, what are you going to do? There's nothing you can do. The Metamorphs concept as it stands is a contradiction. And here's why. Because when you say all submissions are legal, so you can reap the knee, all that stuff. Oh, by the way, um, you know, um, no points, submission only. But there's only 20 minutes on the clock doesn't work that way you can't say we're removing restrictions here we're removing restrictions there we're removing restrictions there but we're going to keep a time restriction this is this is not how grappling works especially when you have two guys who are very very good super elite black belts with a gi on no less in other words why are you promoting this competition as like this is the purest form but it's the purest form in 20 minutes no if it's the purest form then there's no time limit there's no time limit there's no submission you can't do, and there's no points. There's not eliminating this, but then keeping a time limit. If you, there is uh, plenty of grappling tournaments out there that employ a no a submission only, no time limit rule. That is how you do it. And what you find when you do that is the black belt matches, gi or no gi, often run 30 minutes to up to two hours. I've seen them. Now you may be saying, well, that's not palatable as a product, and I would agree with you generally. Except that I would also say having draws is not palatable either. They need to figure this out. My response would be, you know, um, continue to uh, experiment with weight disparity, continue to experiment with talent disparity, and uh, continue to experiment with style disparity. Having one guy being a gi, having one guy not being a gi, I think that would be kind of interesting. And then have your main event sub only, no points, no time limit. That's how you have to do it. That is the truest essence of what is happening here. 
not everything else. If you get a submission in 20 minutes between two high-level black belts, you got lucky. Someone made a dramatic error because these guys don't make errors. They don't make errors. They're too good. They don't make the kinds of mistakes you think they make. It's hard to take advantage of anything on them. They don't give an inch. It's not like MMA where, you know, you zig when you're supposed to zag and then something terrible happens. It's not how it goes in grappling at all, especially at that high level. So that's my sort of takeaway from that is I cannot believe that they were sitting there airing training footage or highlights of old events rather than getting to the next event and pushing things along. It was unfortunate that uh, Jeff Monson's ha uh, mother passed away. Obviously, that's terrible. They had to deal in, 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 uh, with that. But um, there were just so many things about the broadcast that were bizarre. One moment Boz was commentating, one moment he wasn't. Henner was there, Henner wasn't, and then they brought in other guys, and that's cool. But it just it just seemed weird. It just seemed really weird. So um, I admire how good the stream was. I admire how good some of the matches were, which we'll get to right now. Um, I admire some of the bold initiatives taken in theory. But if I were them, and maybe they maybe they didn't use an audience because it's cheaper to reserve a smaller room and then not charge tickets, where they may they may they may lose money charging tickets. You know, I don't know. I don't know exactly what the situation is. You may say, well, they're, they're charging tickets. How are they losing money? Well, maybe it costs more to rent those giant venues, um, and then recoup the money on ticket sales than just to say we'll just pay a fee up front for this and hope we recoup our money by having you know, a better product that we can sell easier on pay per view. Um, okay, maybe that's it too. I, I don't I don't know, but. Whoever is in charge of Metamorph broadcasts is doing a terrible job in terms of production. In terms of not the not the matches themselves and not necessarily how they're presented, but everything else needs to be reworked. Everything. All right. So let's get to the matches themselves because I've, I've hammered them for now almost 15 minutes. Um, Quickly, I'll just go over the, uh, I, I won't even go over, I'll just mention on the pre there's a prelim card with two matches. Um, Francisco uh, Iteralde, or uh, everyone calls him Sinistro, uh, took on Greg McIntyre. He actually won, in, uh, I think within the first 10 minutes, if I'm not mistaken. Pretty great uh, Plata sequence he had from always, many, uh, he had an Plata, had to let it go, and then recapture it because he always had a good lapel grip. Gets the Plata and then turns over, so McIntyre's flat on his back, arms extended, and Sinistro's, you know, pardon me, his ass is right in his face. But that's where you want it. That means that means Sinistro's entire body is controlling a small portion of McIntyre's. And he had to roll over to get the arm bar. But if you just loo it loosely, you'll lose it. So he actually took his far, I think his right foot, and put it in front of the neck of McIntyre. And then used that to roll himself around. But that was the anchor. The foot came around and was the anchor. And I think it was McIntyre's left arm. So it was this arm. Um, that was kind of cool. So Sinistra got the submission. And then Michael Liera Jr. taking on Morgan Niedlinder, um out of uh, Crohn's place. Uh, Liera Jr., one of Otto's black, new black belts. Or maybe still a brown belt. I can't remember. Um, anyway, um, Prodigy over from Otto has been tearing it up for a long time. He's been making waves since he was a purple belt, um, if not a blue. He had an interesting attempt from Mount. Um, that uh, was a triangle attempt from Mount that didn't go anywhere, but it was, it was, if there was a way to judge points, he would have won. So I'm actually going to start from the bottom up on this card. We'll go on the UFC card bottom or top down. Uh, Evandro Nunez 
uh, replaced Jeff Monson against Jimmy Friedrich uh, against uh, Jimmy, another Otto's guy. Um, not much to say about this one, if we're just being honest. Uh, Jimmy tried to do his leg lock game, couldn't really get far with it, and there was sort of basically that. The, one of the most entertaining matches that ended in a draw, Clark Gracie took on Herberto Satoshi. This was fantastic. Gracie was able to pull guard a few times. Um, Satoshi working Toriando passes left and right. That was great. Clark Gracie had this bit where he would do uh, a deep De La Hiva. The De La Hiva hook would not just go around the knee, but to the opposite side hip. Then he would use the sleeve um, to control them, bring them down, and then that leg where he had the same side sleeve he would use, uh, I think with a lapel grip with this hand, to get the omoplata. That was amazing. And he did a couple of times, although Satoshi uh, was able to stop virtually all of the attempts. I mean, there was a couple times he snuck through, but it never really amounted to much in the end. Um, Satoshi, again, I mentioned before, I thought he did a really – if you saw him against the Jake Shields um, in the Jake Shields Metamorphs, this was a much better showing. He's much better known in the gi. Um, you know, he's beaten some really top guys in the gi, and uh, you can see why. Uh, back and forth, lots of sweeps, lots of pass attempts, lots of guard recovery. Um, you know, uh, one moment uh, Clark Gracie tried to pull guard, and Satoshi did a flying triangle at the same time. Now Clark Gracie blocked it, but I just mean there was a lot of interesting things going on. But really, it was that De La Hiva guard that uh, Clark Gracie was trying, and the deep De La Hiva that uh, he, he was able to get some success with, but just not enough. Very, very interesting. Uh, Shanji Hibero, uh, Keenan Cornelius, also ended in a draw. This was another interesting one as well. Uh, Shanji, known as a good guard passer, Keenan sort of known for it all. Um, Keenan would start trying to do the worm guard with the belt of Shanji and then would change over to the l l lapel as it became more available. I had not seen that previously. I'm not saying he hadn't done it. I'm just saying I hadn't seen it previously. Um, so that was kind of interesting to me because the belt is tight at first, right? You can get a similar affect. Not quite because you don't have that same po kind of posture control, but it is a little hard when their weight is being sunk from their hips. Um, so that was kind of interesting to watch. Um, didn't get a whole lot of success with it. As soon as he tried to get around the back, Shanji would just go back down without getting past. Um, a couple times he had a reversal. He almost had a cross-collar choke one time when Keenan was trying to pass. Keenan had a couple of long-step passes that I thought was kind of interesting. Um, Keenan probably would have won on points, I think. But it's sort of another one of those matches where you're talking about him in retrospect and you're just saying to yourself, um, you know, why is there a time limit here? I mean, these two could go for a very long time before you really get a winner. Given those circumstances, does it really make a lot of sense to put them in a 20-minute time frame? I would argue that it does not. Um, let's see, what else uh, about the Hibero-Cornelius match? The cross choke was kind of interesting. He had the one reversal underneath, Shanji did. Um, Wormgar was not nearly as effective as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, there was not a whole lot to this one, if I'm being honest. Um, Dylan Dennis defeated Joe Lazan. This was the first submission on the main card via Dar's choke. You know, this is really interesting. Two guys who, as I put it in my in my comments on uh, MMA fighting, essentially speak the same grappling language. One, I think, speaks it a little more fluently than the other, but you know, two birds of a feather here. Um, yeah, so this was interesting. Um, Lazan got his back taken pretty early in the match and was able to do an excellent job hand fighting, um, keeping Dylan off of him. Dylan had the body triangle for a while. 
Joe was going hip to hip, trying to get him off, and couldn't quite do it. So at one point, Dylan decides to abandon it, tries to get the right leg over the right arm of Joe to either go for either an arm bar or a choke. I, I have to go back and watch. Um, but can't quite get it. So Joe s- turns over, stands, while while um, Dylan tries to go for an underneath arm bar, and Joe pulls out. But then they end up in a sort of a, a brief, very brief, um, leg lock battle, which where Dylan then comes up on top, goes for a knee cut pass, does almost like a back step, but doesn't really do a full back step because he then locks up a Darce choke very deeply. Uh, and it wasn't even one of those things where he sort of, it, a lot of times you might see someone go for an underhook and then someone will whizzer on top and they go for a Darce choke either to defend themselves, to make them stop, you know, from getting swept. Um, that wasn't the case here. If you notice, he went for the Darce choke when Joe's shoulder was under his chest. Well, that makes it a terrible uh, spot for Joe to be in because once you get the Darce, you can actually put your weight on top of it rather than having to come over the arm like a wizard. Um, and so he did. Joe was actually able to get to his base inside the choke, but at that point, Dylan put his leg over the top and sat underneath, yanking on the head, it eventually became basically a power guillotine from underneath. That's essentially what it turned into. Uh, I'm not sure if Dylan let him spin into it or if that was an adjustment after the fact. Uh, that's a little bit beyond my pay grade. Um, but it was nevertheless, you know, whatever it was, Dylan had an answer for the evolution of the technique. And it was just sort of interesting to me because I just see a lot of guys, here comes the underhook. Oh, don't want to have the underhook. Let me come. Un- let me go, you know, on top of the underhook and then squeeze and try and get a darse. And uh, I'm not saying it doesn't work. It works routinely. But it's even more effective when the arm is just underneath your body because now you go on to, you, you collapse it and your body weight's on top of it. Their own shoulders getting driven into them in a much more robust way. And uh, Dylan was able to get that at uh, first. Uh, Chael Sonnen and Babalu went to a draw. There's really not much to say about this one. Um, Babalu kind of slipped. Sonnen was on top, and that's all she wrote. Uh, Babalu was, you know, moving a lot underneath uh, you know, hips left to right, left to right, trying to go deep half, trying to secure an arm bar, trying to get a Kimura a couple times. Um, but Chael's posture was good. He occasionally went to half guard a couple of times, but there was really no real, since, if I'm being honest, you know, uh, there's just not a sincere effort to pass guard here. You know, and it, you know, look, there's a lot of schools of thought here about Metamorphs. I mentioned the fact that you have this artificial time limit on a format that d- needs you to not have an artificial time limit. But there's frankly another component. Look, if I'm Chael Sonnen, I understand it. Like you're dealing with black belts and not just that, world champion black belts. And you don't have strikes and it changes everything drastically. Um, You know, going in there and surviving against these guys is, it is, I can see how someone would say it's a win. When I go and roll with, you know, the guy who runs our school is a Pedro Sauer black belt. If I can even threaten a guard pass, um, I feel like a winner. I truly do. I feel like a winner. So I can understand why he would feel that way. On the other hand, I see what Joe Lozon says when he's like, you know, listen, if you go in here and quote-unquote playing it safe, um, you know, this isn't the spot for you. I think Metamorphs works when you have guys who have the Joe Lozon uh, style of, um, you know, the, the mentality where they go in there and they say, listen, if you're going you're gonna, to, I'm either going to win or I'm going to fall on my sword. That's just how it's going to be. I, I, I admire that greatly, and I think the product works better when it gets that way. It's just hard to find guys that way because when you are sonning, and you're just a purple belt, even though you're a great wrestler. But you know, once you're on the ground in Babalu's guard, being a great wrestler doesn't help you that much. I mean, it helps you with your base um, and your balance and stuff like that. Okay, fine. But um, 
you know, it doesn't help you pass guard, as we can see. So, you know, I like Sonnen. I admire his guts, but I just don't think this is necessarily – got to match up with someone a little bit closer to his skill level, and, and then we'll see what happens there. And then in the main event, Josh Barnett taking a hit on Gracie. Uh, admire Gracie going under 60-pound weight differential to try and win this. Totally admirable thing on his part. Um, did a lot of hand fighting at first. Even tried his own foot sweep. You know, Josh was saying he admired it, but if you're me and you're hit on, if you're hit on Gracie, you're thinking the more time we spend up here hand fighting, the better it is for me. And the less time I've spent underneath, um, you know, Barnett trying to pass guard or, or you know, working from north south or something. Uh, and inevitably, a snap down and a turn got hit onto the ground. Barnett got on top. Um, you know, listen, Barnett was able to pass. I think relatively easily couple good things he did he uh later in the match he had uh, he was faking a knee cut pass and then got here on to commit to one side so heavily that he goes he was basically committing to one side of one side i'm going to almost stack you in this knee cut pass and then circle counterclockwise out and he got past the opposite side that was really that was that was kind of dope um whenever he passed he was also doing some stuff like you know if i get past your hips and your legs so they're not in the game anymore but your arm is in between you and me Right. In other words, you're not occupying the space. I still have a lot of options here. Every time he was passing, he got Huron's elbows out. Right. So this is a terrible spot to be in. There's just you've occupied whoever controls the inside space in a grappling match. That's the guy who is 99.9% of the time going to win. Right. If you're if you're if you're up here, and you got and your 65 weight differential, you know you're in trouble. You're you're in big trouble. So you saw a lot of that. Uh, so good job by Josh Barnett, just, you know, making sure he never let Hiran get an elbow in or a knee in. Uh, you know, Hiran does a pretty good uh, job of shrimping back to half guard. There's a couple times that Barnett would try to pass to Mount, um, and Hiran did a good job of getting his elbow on Barnett's hip in time to capture half guard. That was cool. Uh, he had full guard for a little while, but, you know, he couldn't really do much with it. It's going to be hard to control, you know, Barnett's posture and whatnot. Anyway, eventually... Um, Let's see. Uh, Barnett, I think, was working like north-south. Huron went up and tried to do a triangle, uh, an upside-down triangle. Barnett got a Barnett got a hand in. Then they roll. Barnett locks his legs. Um, and then before Huron can get his legs out, he gets toehold. Now, you know, look, that's basically a 50-50 position, right? Your arts an equal position, not the 50-50 guard, but it's an equal position. If you're in a general rule of thumb in grappling, if you're in an equal position with someone and they weigh more than you, you know, you're going to lose that position, right? That's just sort of how it goes. You need to be in an advantageous position, especially when you're giving them that much amount of weight. Uh, so anyway, toehold is what got hit on in the end. These were fine matches. I mean, the draws, I just think, are an inevitability of the system. I, you know, I think it's an indictment, not so much of grappling. It's not an indictment of no rules, or I should say, all subs, no, no, um, no points. I don't. I think that's fine. It's just when you start putting time limits on guys, and you put them in a gi, and you put them, you know, at you know very, very similar skill levels, this is what you're going to get. Someone's going to have to make a dramatic mistake for something like that to happen uh, to get a submission. So there you go. That was Metamorphosis six. That took place in uh, Los Angeles, ostensibly, on a Friday night. So we move now to oh, uh, Man of the Card. I will go with um, Dylan Dennis, just because I thought the fluidity of his submissions were so great. 
so we move to UFC. Oh, I'll get the card. I don't know. It's hard to say. Just the card itself, I would give a B. The production, I would give an F, um, as we mentioned before. All right. So, uh, also that night from Adelaide, Australia, UFC Fight Night 65, also known as UFC Fight Night, uh, Fight Night Stipe Miocic, excuse me, versus Mark Hunt. Uh, this took place at the Adelaide Entertainment Center. It had an attendance of 7,984 with a total gate of $833,810. Uh, $833, uh, top of the food chain here, Stipe Miocic defeated Mark Hunt via TKO. Uh, 247 of the fifth round. This was a disaster of a fight. Not because of anything necessarily the, com the competitors did. I thought Mark Hunt kind of faded early. Um, good job on Stipe of not trying to do a double leg, blasting Mark Hunt through, who has quick hips, better reaction time than people give him credit for. Um, getting underneath and then going for a single leg on the leg he's stepping forward with. I thought that was really cool. So if Mark Hunt stepped forward to throw a strike one way or the other, that was the leg he was going towards, which is typically Mark Hunt's left leg, and then running, uh, you know, running the pipe and then getting on top. I thought that was great. Um, so good job by Sylvia Miocic. On top, it was pretty clinical with the ground and pound. Not a whole lot to say there. Good about keeping Mark Hunt off of his base. But, I mean, how do you not stop that fight a minute before the end of the third round? To let that go to the fifth round, you know, utterly unconscionable. Utterly unconscionable. Um, you know, I looked at the referee, referee John Sharp. This is a guy who's been refereeing UFC events since 2010, has had previously some great stoppages, um, and I think was even involved in a stoppage earlier this evening. I'm not sure which one it was, um, and, but I remember thinking it was actually a pretty good stoppage. You know, I think it was the O'Connell Perroche stoppage, maybe? I don't know. I had to go back and look. But be that as it may, um, you can hear my dog. Be that as it may, um, you know, it just looked good. Let's say that the, that the heavyweight division has a contender now outside of. Um, you know, the Dos Santos Velazquez uh, situation. So I, I'm not saying he'll get a title shot from this, but it seems probable that he's on the short list uh, uh, pretty clearly. Uh, let's see. Uh, Robert Whitaker defeated Brad Savarez via KO, 44 seconds. The left hook, man, the left hook of death. Um, good job. I thought his footwork looked good. I thought his mobility looked good. Jump up to middleweight. He doesn't seem too outsized. Uh, had a good couple front kicks. And was able to just sneak the left hand around the corner ever so slightly um, against Brad Savars, who I didn't think his defense was bad. But with these tiny gloves, man, your defense has to be really tight. And was able to just find his way. Uh, he would sort of dip to the right. Uh, and that would get Brad Savars to extend just a little bit. And then after he would dip, he would sort of then come back over with the left uh, and, and tagged him. Many, many times until finally, you know, the way he put one down when his hands were way down. And that was all she wrote. Sean O'Connell defeated Anthony Peroche at 56 seconds of the first round. Not a lot to say here, for being honest. Um, uh, you know, Peroche, obviously a credentialed grappler, but he's obviously much older. Sean O'Connell, uh, God bless him. Um, but, you know, this was sort of a brawling stoppage. Went in there, ate a shot to give one. Yeah, that's li literally what happened. Ate a shot to give one. Uh, rocked Peroche. I don't think he had any. I, didn't, I thought his movement really wasn't there, and um, I think he had a little bit of issue with O'Connell's power and hand speed. Not, not a lot to say about it. James Vick defeated Jake Matthews via submission guillotine choke. Thought Matthews looked okay early. This took place at 4:53 of the first round. Um, but a couple things. He got caught with an uppercut early. Remember, because he was crow hopping into Vick. You know, instead of throwing a one-two and sort of walking with it or gliding with it, he would jump into it. Um, he got nicked with that uh, early. 
Um, and that's, as a matter of fact, I think that's what Vic met him with before he could jump because it's, it's just so easy to time, right? If you, if you know someone's either about to jump or about to land from the jump, you can catch him. And so he hits him with a uh, jumping switch knee, and then Matthews tries to close the show, or at least uh, the distance. Vic feeds him a couple of uppercuts, which makes Matthews desperate for a takedown, which gives Matthew the head outside, uh, or Matthews the head outside double slash single, which means Vic can lock up the guillotine uh, and then roll him over to mount, and um, that was basically all she wrote. He tapped from there. You know, it's a, a lot of times in MMA, you're not going to get the sub until you hurt them. But once you hurt them, you start, they start making bad, hasty decisions, don't they? And so rather than backing out and trying to reset, he sort of drove forward with it and paid the price as a consequence. Dan Hooker defeated Hatsuhiyoki via head kick at 4.13 of the second round. Uh, fairly even contest on the feet, I thought, beforehand. Hiyoki was doing a really good job. You saw Hooker being in the southpaw stance, kind of pulling with his right, and when he would... Hiyoki was coming to the body, actually to the liver shot, which I thought was kind of awesome, and then throwing a, um, strikes up the middle too, uh, particular front kicks to the sort of the sternum, uh, and they were landing. But he had his uh, right hand so low when he was punching, the other one was coming down with it, um, and Hooker in the second round anyway um, just didn't show any signs of wanting to throw the kick. I mean, he threw it previously in the in the first round, um, but basically blocked all both times, but. Um, you know, the second round, he was sort of just throwing hands, throwing hands, came back out of an exchange. They were sort of repositioned themselves, and boom, he just toasted them with it. There was not much setup to it. I just don't think that Hiyoki was ready for it, and his hands were literally like this, like Koji Oishi style versus Nick Diaz. Uh, it was it was just he was, he was right for the picking. Kyle Noak somehow defeated uh, Jonathan Webb. 30-27, 29-28, 29-28. I guess they... I haven't seen the scorecards. I'm assuming that they gave, they did not give Noak um, the uh, second round where he was dropped twice. But I don't know how you give him both the first and the third, if we're just being honest. Not a <coughs> lot to say about this fight. It's a fairly straightforward technique, but there you go. Sam Alvey defeating Dan Kelly. 49 seconds of the first round. Smile on Sam Alvey, boy. He's a funny guy, isn't he? Uh, this one was kind of interesting to me. So when some when when a lot of times in Muay Thai when you see a guys uh, throw a leg kick, they the same side they throw so if they're throwing with the left side they'll put the hand out, and then they'll either cover here or sometimes you see the hand come across the face. This is to keep distance, yeah, um, and to protect yourself, right? So you're 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 creating lines of defense both by sort of like a stiff arm slash initial way to block hands or something else here to cover sort of this line of defense, right? Um, and for balancing, too. And uh, Kelly had walked Alvy down, didn't bring this one really across, and put the hand out like you're supposed to, but did it at a super narrow range. Right? So you're supposed to be at range when this happens. Like, you should be far away from me inside my kicking range, not so much inside my boxing range, if at all possible. Right? And then this is my lines of defense. He did it when he was super in tight, so the hand even went down. So he was just wide open. Alvy just waited for it and timed the right hand. Boom, crushed him, followed him up from there. That was all she wrote. There's really not much more to it than that. He just threw a technique that works better at distance in very tight space, even though he was the one pressuring, and he paid for it as a consequence. Uh, Beck Rawlings defeated Lisa Ellis via, uh, via submission rear naked choke at 4.09 of the first round. 
Um, not a whole lot to say about this one. I did like Lisa Ellis going for the knee cut pass, getting just far enough. And because Beck Rawlings was sort of pushing on one hand, on the, on the hand closer to Ellis, uh, Ellis tried to wrap it and spin for the armbar, couldn't quite get it. Um, but she was hurt by the time her back was taken in the Beck Rawlings fight. And so there wasn't a lot of hand fighting. Once Rawlings got her back, the choke was, was sort of fairly fairly there. Uh, she got roughed up in the clinch, basically, is the long story short. And then from there, um, you get her back up rather easily, and, and then the choke as well. Uh, Brad Scott defeating Dylan Andrews via guillotine choke at 454 of the second round. Not a lot to this one as well. Uh, this one was interesting. Alex Chambers defeated Kalen Curran via armbar at 315 of the third round. So if you didn't see this fight, Alex Chambers basically gets tuned up for two and a, a half rounds. I mean, badly beaten. And Kalen Curran is just sort of moving forward, taking a shot here or there, but, you know, really just keeping Alex Chambers back against the fence or circling away from her, um, coming forward with, you know, hand and foot combinations, being offensive, putting a lot of pressure on her. But there's just a certain lack of refinement in her game, including in the striking game, that you can see. Now, Chambers, I wouldn't say she got lucky, but I don't know that she could do this, in, you know, 9 out of 10 fights. But she was able to, uh, in the course of being taken down in the third round, immediately lock up a Kimura on the near side. Now, it was blocked, as they often do. They bring their hips and legs closer to it, um, and, um, you know, they, they put pressure down, and you can't get it out, right? So there was a lot of ways that Kaylin Curran could have blocked this. She could have gotten closer to her. She could have stepped over the legs one way. But the way she chose to do it was she eventually, because, I mean, Chambers' grip on this Kimura was tenuous, to put it best. So what she eventually decided to do was, uh, give her her give her her back. She's still pushing into her, and that part was okay. But what you if if someone's going for a Kimura like this, their body's here, and I'm trying to go for Kimura on this in that case, there'll be the left arm. What you're going to see a better grappler do is immediately step over your head. Immediately they're going to come around because it reduces all the torque on it. So what she did was she came out and then stepped in front. She didn't step over the top, um, and I don't mean just one leg. I mean but they'll they'll come over with both, right? They need one to get one, but then they'll just backstep for the other. And that essentially reduces uh, and eliminates the Kimura. She didn't do that. She stepped in front, which allowed uh, Chambers to invert underneath and turn it into an armbar. And then again, Corin, instead of just putting pressure and stacking her, stands up, immediately armbar. Similar to what happened to Joanne Calderwood. Crazy. Uh, Brendan O'Reilly defeated Vic uh, Grujic, or Grujic, uh, via unanimous decision. 29-28 across the board. And then last but certainly not least, Ben Wynn defeated Alptekin Oskalic at, at 459 uh, of the first round. Um, this was a cool one. Alptekin Oskalic has good clinch takedowns, had a couple of them this round, uh, or at least one of them anyway. Ben Wynn just seemed uh, utterly unfazed by his offense, however. Great hand speed. What really caught him was Oskalic backing up against the fence, switching stances, trying to exchange in the pocket, especially on clinch breaks. But in the last one, um, was sort of backed up, switched stances, eats a right hook as he dodges to the same side, and then a left hook over the top. But the left hook had previously been connecting in the fight, but it connected only after the right one snuck it underneath after he was sort of facing on the wrong side that he usually faces. And so he paid for it as a consequence. I give the card, um, you know, B+, plus, decent, for especially for a fight pass card. You know, not the best fighters in the world, but... Uh, you know, it's a different argument to make. And then, uh, I guess, man or woman of the match, I'm going to give to probably uh, Robert Whitaker.
just because of a steady improvement even after jumping up a weight class is sort of impossible to ignore. Okay, that does it for your boy. I have to get out of here. I appreciate everyone being patient with this podcast. Thank you very much. And, um, yeah, check it out next week. Monday Morning Analyst, Luke.Thomas at SBNation.com and at SBN Luke Thomas. See you all. Bye.